Welcome to Changing Reels, a podcast that aims to change the conversation on diversity and representation in cinema one reel at a time. My name is Courtney Small. I write about film for several publications, including ThatShelf.com, where this show is hosted, and Cinema Access, to name a few. I'm also the co-host of the podcast Frameline. Today, I'm joined by freelance writer and YouTuber, Rishab Bashista. Did I pronounce that right? That's pretty close. That's pretty good. Uh, Rishab has written about film for various publications, including Medium.com, the AllAround.net, and on his own site, Rishab Bashista Reviews. Uh, Rishab, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Not too bad. Our main film for today is the 2019 comedy Late Night, directed by Nisha Ganatra. The film follows Molly Patel as she leaves her job at a factory to become a comedy writer for famed late night talk show host Catherine Newberry. However, Molly quickly realizes that the writer's room culture at the late night talk show is more toxic than she could ever imagine. Rashad, do you want to just kick us off with some of your initial thoughts on this film? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I actually saw this film, well, I've watched it yesterday in preparation for the podcast, but I had seen it earlier too when it had uh, dropped on Amazon Prime. Obviously, you know, Mindy Kaling and Nisha Ganatra, those are two big names that were a big draw, but of course also um, Emma Thompson and the subject matter of the film as well. And I, I'm sort of a self-confessed late night nerd myself, so I, I really like films that kind of bring you into that world. Also, it's just a workplace comedy is just a great genre as is. And I was interested in seeing it specifically, um, I think, because of its process of showing the late night scene a little bit demystified. I think when we think of late night, which is such a pinnacle to American television in particular, it's sort of this thing that just happens for us all on TV every night. And we rarely get to kind of see the inside process of that. So I really appreciated that this film for kind of demystifying a lot of that. As a film overall, I think it's fine. I don't think it's Perhaps, you know, I know that this, uh, I think this film debuted at Sundance for a pretty, and it was bought out for a pretty hefty price tag. I'm not, I'm not quite sure why that was the case, since it seems like uh, a fairly sort of, I wouldn't say run of the mill, but it has some standard elements to it. But overall, I, I actually quite enjoyed it. There's a number of uh, witty aspects to it. I think Emma Thompson's always great. Mindy Kaling is great in it as well. Nisha Ganatra, who's uh, done several other sort of interesting works. I think her latest film, The High Note, I've heard a lot of good things about. So yeah, I was excited to see the film. And overall, I would say it's, it's a pretty good watch. Yeah, this was my first time watching the film. It had been in my, uh, I guess, prime queue for a while. So mm-hmm. this was a, a good excuse to, to finally dive into it. And similar to you, I, I enjoyed the film. It, it's weird. It, it didn't wow me in the sense that I guess I was expecting a little more from a story standpoint. Because right. as, as you mentioned, it is it is rather straightforward. And in many ways, it plays almost like a, a rom-com, even though yes. yeah. the romance in this film is actually secondary to the, the bonds of friendship that evolves. But having said that, I, I still found it entertaining. Mm-hmm. Uh, and similar to you, I having watched it, I was a little shocked by, I guess, the Sundance yeah. that it generated. But then at the same time, Sundance, I find it's one of those places where some of the films that come out that create a lot of big buzz don't necessarily play out with that same kind of enthusiasm. Right, exactly. Whereas I feel like this film, I cannot understand, I understand why Amazon would purchase this because this is a film that has broad appeal. It's not your, your typical quirky Sundance indie. This one, I feel anyone could watch this and, and get a lot of, get a lot out of it in terms of just overall entertainment and the performances are are solid. And I guess let's jump into, because you said that you're a, a big late night 
nerd. So let's talk about the late night genre because this film does a, a really good job of kind of exposing some of the flaws with late night culture. And I, I will admit that watching this film and even thinking about it in preparation for the show, I was trying to think of the amount of female late night talk show hosts that there have been. And I came up with, I think off the top of my head, about four. And then mm-hmm. doing a little more research, I, I came up with three more that I had forgot had shows. And it was more, partly it was just my, the way how my brain works, but also the fact that women in late night don't get the same type of notoriety and revere that men do. Mm-hmm. So when I was thinking back, I came up with names like Joan Rivers way back in the day. Monique, the, the Oscar winner, she had a, a talk show for a bit. Uh, Chelsea, now we have Lily Singh. She has right. one. But they don't have the same revere that a Leno or a Carson is. Like, th- there's a generation that will grow up having never seen David Letterman do his late night show, but will know the aura of, of David Letterman. Right, exactly. Yeah, I think, well, a lot of it comes down to uh, the fact, again, like I mentioned, it's, it's such a pinnacle to American television. It's one of those things that I think, you know, I, I listen to a lot of Conan O'Brien's podcasts, and he mentions Johnny Carson a lot. So I know that it's, it's been so infused into American television culture. And, and it's so important to sort of the broad, you know, t- television uh, community at gen- in general, that it's become like one of those very important institutions where when a person, you know, breaks into that, that's a huge accomplishment. So yeah, I definitely agree with you that in general, I think not just late night, really, if we, we talk in general about comedy, maybe even, you know, entertainment, but I think comedy specifically has been uh, male dominated for a long time. I think this film in particular, what it did a great job of showing was the writer's room aspect of it. You know, the fact that we just in general, as general public, we tend to not really know what's going on in a writer's room. It's easy to forego the fact that a lot of the uh, late night shows that we, you know, love often don't have very diverse writing rooms. So I think that this film did a really good job of displaying that as well. Yeah, one of the articles I, I read in preparation, they were breaking down the the percentage in terms of female writers on a lot of the popular late night shows. And this, I guess, survey was done back in 2019, but before Lily Singh had her show. Yeah. Um, so she's not included in the numbers. And they showed for most of them, they averaged around, I think it was 22% in terms of female writers. So if you are, let's say, for example, late night Jimmy Fallon, they have 23 writers, only mm-hmm. four or five of them might be women. And right. it showed, I think outside of Samantha B and Jesus and Mero, those were the only two that came close to 50%. They were... Like in the 40s, I think 44 or 48%, where everyone else was, um, I think, 22, 20 around that mark. Even Seth Meyers, who's featured in, in a cameo in this film at one point. And I, and I found that quite interesting because, you know, we've, for the last several years, we've been talking about diversity and representation and breaking the glass ceiling. And many people think of it just as being the face, you know, having the the Chelsea Handler or the Samantha B host a show, the Robin Thede, what have you. But there's also that whole aspect behind the scenes, you know, on stuff like this, Saturday Night Live, any type of television program, you have to think of who are the people writing the monologues and planning the show behind the scenes as well. Right, exactly. And I think, you know, 
that that kind of relates to, I think, entertainment and the entertainment industry in general right now is that we are often really fixated and focused on what's, you know, what's happening in diversity and representation in front of the camera. And we sometimes tend to uh, forget about the fact that, you know, behind the camera, um, you know, in terms of crew and writers and things like that, not just in comedy, but in film and TV in general, there's still oftentimes a long way to go. And I think this movie also brought in sort of an interesting aspect, I think, of tokenism and sort of representation for the sake of representation and sort of the discussion that needs to be kind of had around that. Obviously, the film's kind of hopeful towards the end, you know, going a little bit into spoilers, I guess, when I guess Mindy Kaling's character gets, you know, sort of a full-time position at the show. One of her conditions is that she wants to have, you know, not just the same kind of people being in the writer's room and have a very diverse uh, writer's room, which we kind of get a glimpse of at the very end. So, you know, I think that's that's ultimately the goal. But I think a lot of that has to do with being honest with ourselves and realizing the fact that there's a long way to go, both in terms of, you know, behind and in, and in front of the camera, both, like you mentioned. Yeah, and I was thinking a lot about tokenism and the way how it's presented in this film because obviously it's a comedy and she uses humor to point out a lot of these aspects and you know there's there's moments where she'll her character Molly and I'm talking about Mindy Kaling will will take jabs at her South Asian heritage and her living conditions but specifically when she is introduced to the, the workforce like even her getting the job she had to kind of jump through hoops to even get an interview at that place. And she had to, to win an essay competition. And one mm-hmm. of her main, I guess, uh, one of the main challengers for that same position was a young man who was essentially the, right, the brother of one of the writers. He had yeah. no real experience, but the men kind of take it as of a front that this guy didn't get hired. Whereas this woman who had to like, actually work to try and get the job got hired instead and this whole idea of when a a person of color gets hired in any particular role it must be because of affirmative action whereas when you have you know a, a male white writer or just white male get the job then it's because it's based off of talent like they don't see the the nepotism that's there they don't they don't see that the hiring practices, like they don't even realize that they're in a room full of men, you know, to them, it's just normal. Like they use the, the women's bathroom as their yeah. own, you know, for their own personal use because there's no women and that's just the way it is. So it's, it's a very interesting look at how that's approached and how people view tokenism and, and then the hiring of, I guess, quote unquote, the other in, in, in this regards. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, I mean, um, I think there's one point where, it's mentioned somewhere, Emma Thompson's character, Catherine Newberry, mentions that comedy is the only true meritocracy. And I found that to be such an interesting statement, given the sort of, you know, subject material of this film. And, and you think about, you know, whether or not comedy today in America and, you know, at large, whether it really is a meritocracy or not, whether just being funny is enough to, you know, land the big late night gig or for that matter, you know, be in the writer's room or, or be involved in comedy in any way. So I think the, the fact that in my, you know, sort of perspective, I think Nisha Ganatra as the director and Mindy Kaling as the writer did a good job of being as all-encompassing as possible within the film, showing the different kind of facets and perspectives that, you know, come with diversity, both, you know, in entertainment, but also in the workplace in general. Like you mentioned that little bit about the, the men using the women's restroom 
it's it kind of plays off as a joke in, in the film but when you really dive deeper into it you kind of realize that that's sort of occurring because they're just not even used to having someone like that um, within their work right environment so there's a lot about you know like you said tokenism meritocracy um, of course nepotism all those things put together into this in this comedic way but also kind of diving deeper into some or at least inviting the audience to kind of just ponder upon some of the things that are happening within workplaces, especially in the entertainment and comedy industries. I found it fascinating that in many ways, Catherine Newberry, for all her fame and popularity, is is kind of enabling a lot of the unhealthy practices. Like the, the reason they're part of the reason there's an, uh, a male only writer's room is because she herself doesn't seem to be open to to females on, on staff or, or doesn't seem to give them much of a, of a shot. And it could be argued that she, she doesn't care for anyone outside of herself. Cause she doesn't even realize at one point that a male staff writer had passed away years ago. Yeah. Uh, and she refers to most of the, her staff, the writers as, as numbers, cause she can't be bothered to learn their name. But part of this whole initiative to diversify the hiring comes from one of the writers pointing out that she isn't kind to women on a, on a good day. So even when Molly's hired, it's more, I need a token to prove that I'm not biased, even though she is. And it takes a lot for Catherine to kind of come around. Like in, in many ways, there's several scenes where Molly has to bail out Catherine to show that Catherine's not a bad person while behind the scenes working to try and change Catherine from being a bad person. Yeah. I think uh, that's an interesting point because you know, in terms of, you know, having late night uh, personalities with like all that sort of big fame and all, all the media kind of constantly watching them and seeing them make jokes about certain things and, and be progressive in front of the camera, but behind the camera, as we said, you know, the workplace tends to be still kind of similar to how it was, you know, years, years, years ago when late night was just, you know, coming around. So I think it's interesting how they played into that dynamic in the film with Mindy Kaling's character and Emma Thompson's character. And I found it particularly fascinating how Molly is actually a fan of Catherine. I think that brings out a very interesting dynamic. I know I was reading one of the sort of like Amazon extra facts that come with Amazon Prime. And I know that Mindy Kaling had mentioned that she wanted to make this film sort of a love story between two people who are really passionate about comedy. And I think you talk about Mindy Kaling's uh, character's perspective in the film. It's very much one of trying to move late night forward, whereas Catherine Newberry is still kind of stuck, not just in terms of, you know, creativity. Obviously, you know, there's a lot about how they creative, like creatively have a lot of differences. Catherine tends to really only want to, you know, stick to interviewing authors and, and sort of these very, uh, what uh, what Molly calls sort of boring guests. But also in terms of their visions for what late night could look like in terms of having an inclusive environment. Um, and I think Catherine's character's journey is, is pretty much in, well, in many ways started because of Mindy Kaling's character who kind of pushes her out of her comfort zone, not just creatively, but also in terms of uh, creating a sort of different workplace environment. So yeah, it's, there's a lot of challenges or I would say, you know, tensions between their two characters that's often played for comedy, but there is also a real story there in which uh, two comedy lovers kind of find a way to move the comedy world forward. Yeah. And I found that Catherine 
was a very interesting character. Like I thought Emma Thompson gave a, a great performance and yeah. even the way how Kaling writes the character, as you said, she's, she's stuck not wanting to move forward. She, she feels that she's essentially the smartest person in the room, probably in the entire country and wants everyone to live up to her standards, opposed to realizing that the world has evolved and changed and even humor and stuff has changed. But through all her, I would say, dislikable traits, she's still a character that you care for. Uh, right. And like, I, I found her relationship with her husband interesting. The, the, the idea that even at the height of her power, she's, she's a woman of a certain age. And in Hollywood, that means very little in terms of longevity. So she's kind of fighting against a system that is forcing her out despite her, her numbers still being decent. You know, they haven't, they've dropped, but they, it hasn't like she's been plummeted. Like there's clearly a value for that show. They're just going with a more misogynist kind of frat boy comedian as her right. replacement. So I found those aspects quite interesting. And even the, the way how they approach the scandal in the, in the film, I thought that it added a lot of really interesting layers to, to that character that could have otherwise been just despicable. Yeah. I think they did a really good job of, of, putting a lot of nuance into that character. Obviously, you know, Emma Thompson's a great performer, but the writing is truly nuanced, especially, you know, in terms of depicting, like you said, someone who is on the older side and is a woman working in comedy, working in late night in particular. Like you said, the scandal aspect of it too, I think added a lot of layers, like you mentioned, and brought a lot of nuance to her character. Just because those are the sort of stories that we don't really get to see from a personal view. We generally kind of see like a lot of the times the film kind of shows these, which is just the headlines, right? The Hollywood headlines, the trades kind of reporting on things. That's generally the side of the story we get to see. But I think, um, you know, both the writer, director, and of course, Emma Thompson, they all together brought a story from a more personal point of view, um, you know, bringing someone who is an entertaining persona, who is someone in the limelight, but getting to see sort of the personal struggles they fail too, or face too. So in terms of, you know, Emma Thompson being, her character being a traditionalist, but also, you know, having to, you know, be within this space that is very sort of cloying and misogynistic towards, uh, towards women in the, in the comedy workforce. So I think overall, they did a really good job of bringing a nuanced personal take on that. Let's take a moment just to go on the flip side, because you mentioned that in many ways, it's a love letter or a love story between two people who love comedy. And you have one who's very much established, the established comedian in terms of Catherine, but then you have someone like Molly. And Molly is very much an idealist. Uh, she's one who, as you said, she's a very much a fan of Catherine. And I think her, her love of Catherine allows her to condone a lot of, Catherine's problematic traits and I think that's a very interesting commentary on I guess this generation as a whole and especially how people are struggling to confront a lot of the problematic things that their heroes and icons say and do whether it be on social media or, or public scandal so I just want to know what were your thoughts on Molly in this film and and how she kind of evolves over the course of it well obviously in the beginning of the film she is a fan she's coming into work as a fan she's eager and she tries to make the most of the opportunity but i think what the film did a good job of and keeling as a writer did a good job of 
is having a character who recognizes things in in the work you know in the workplace that need to change i think that's shown in killing's character throughout the film in terms of her wanting to push like i said emma thompson's character sort of outside of her comfort zone and obviously it takes time right because at least within the film this is someone who hasn't worked even like two months in comedy and is trying to you know really push the needle with uh, someone who's extremely established, you know, basically world-renowned and trying to uh, get her to change things. But yeah, I think it speaks to a lot of, I guess, what you mentioned earlier, which is a sort of like fan culture and, and having to confront those things about our heroes. I think we do see glimpses of that sort of difficult process when Molly has to kind of step back and realize that a lot of the things that, you know, she saw on TV, you know, and blindly accepted as being sort of this perfect machine are actually sort of not working in the best way possible behind the scenes. And I think the fact that we have someone who is a fan and is able to sort of relate to and understand Catherine's sort of journey up to the, up to that point makes it a especially interesting dynamic because she has a certain perspective of knowing what works and what doesn't work and how to use what works and implement it in a way that really moves things forward. Yeah, and I felt that she also brought an interesting outsider outsider's perspective to yeah. just the operations. Like the, the fact that you have these people that write on the show but have never actually been to the set when it's being recorded, even to me as a you know, a person who devours pop culture, that seems very odd. You know, you wouldn't have that type of interaction. So it shows the the distance not only between Catherine and her writers, but the writers and the, the final product that they're, they're they're producing and how that can often be cause for a very stagnant kind of old school mentality. And the one thing I will say about Molly that I would have loved a little more of is insight to her life outside of the show. We get glimpses of it. Like I think she's living with her, her aunt and her, and her cousin, but we, we don't really see too much of her life outside. We know she's hosting a benefit show for, I believe it's for cancer. Mm-hmm. And she has a fling with Charlie, who's one of the writers that, as we discover in the course of the film, has a, had an affair with Catherine a few years ago. But I found to, to build the, the love triangle that this film tries to do, it didn't give me enough of Molly outside of the show to, to right, really right. get to know her as a person. Like she's, she's a fascinating character. I just wish there was a little bit more about her as an individual. And did, did you find that similar or did you think that they, they did a good job of presenting her as a well-rounded person? No, I, yeah, I a hundred percent agree with you. I think what's interesting is that Mindy Kaling herself pretty much wrote the film. And so I think there is sort of a kind of reverential layer to Emma Thompson and her being the main character. And then in turn, you know, Catherine Newberry being the center of the film, ultimately. I think, you know, Molly, Molly's character almost acts as a supporting character many times, even though she plays a very important role. Mm -hmm. I agree that she could have used a little bit more fleshing out. I understand that the central focus is sort of Emma Thompson's journey. But it was interesting to, you know, to hear Mindy Kaling say that this is a story, like a love story between these two people who love comedy. And at the same time, there is, you know, not so much about Molly's character. So I think, I think as is, as the film stands, it wasn't something that, you know, was constantly bothering me. But at the same time, it would have been a more interesting character overall, I think, had we seen more of her life sort of 
you know, just outside the show. I think, you know, what they do with Emma Thompson's character in terms of the writing is fantastic because we get to see this very well-rounded individual, whereas uh, Molly's character can sometimes come off as a slightly more caricaturish than this Newberry's character. Yeah. And I think for, for me, I guess probably one of the, not thinking back to one of the qualms I had is I think because we, if I remember correctly, we get introduced to Molly first and we see so much of her, you know, going for the interview, leaving her work job and all that. And I, I guess, because it was my first time watching it, I felt that Catherine was going to be the supporting character, but then at some point it kind of flips and Catherine's like the main focal point and then Molly becomes the supporting character. So maybe that is what was, what was throwing me off for a bit, but I do, I do like their dynamics and the, I thought that the respect that Catherine has for Molly grew organically. Right. Despite, you know, some of the kind of the comedic situations that, that put them, they put each other through. And even when she was doing that stand up at the, be- at the benefit show and she starts bombing at first before she realized, like, I'm just going to say what's on my mind. I thought that whole sequence worked quite well. And it also speaks to Catherine being a person that despite she has the clout and fame, even she still feels like she must toe a certain line and, you know, can't reveal her true self or else it will jeopardize the, the brand. It was, it's an, it was an interesting bond between those two. And I, and I thought that that did, did work. What did you think though of some of the supporting characters? Like I know we don't delve too much into a lot of the writers. Yeah. They're numbers. Literally. They're, they're, they're essentially numbers. It's the guy that uses the bathroom <laughs> guy that talks to his girlfriend they're very generic but then you also have a you know the comedian daniel Tennant, who is i guess the the new hot thing that's coming in but even with him we don't get too much about his character you just know he's the comedian that even Catherine thinks is very misogynist in in his in his brand of humor even though he he tries to claim it as i guess being intellectual type humor so i just want to know what do you think of some of the the supporting characters in this film obviously when we talk about the writer's room that was there, you know, and the way that it functioned before uh, Molly's character came in. Obviously, there's a lot of humor to that sort of aspect of the story where, um, you know, it's pretty much they realize that Catherine is Catherine and her show are kind of just fading and they're kind of just there for the paycheck. So I thought that was sort of interesting and kind of funny in the sense that there was no one to really revitalize them with creative energy. And it was kind of almost humorous to see them kind of taking this as a middling job. But what was more interesting to me is when Molly's character does come in and the confrontation they have to do first creatively, of course, because they realize that, you know, they haven't been putting true soul effort and energy into the job until Molly's character comes there and sort of uh, brings about more creative change, brings in more creative energy, but also obviously like, like the fact of having a woman in the writer's room, they have to confront that change and you know look at some of the prejudices and actions that they've had uh prior to that point obviously we already talked about you know the women's bathroom scene it's supposed to be a very comedic bit like i mentioned but it it's sort of representative of a lot of the the sort of changes that they as a writer's room have to confront as a result of molly's character coming there and and like i said it's sort of a hopeful story in a sense in the in the sense that most of the writers despite the friction and tension that you know, starts at the beginning of the film with her character, 
eventually turns into something that's uh, productive and helps to create a show that's better than it what it was before. One of my favorite characters in terms of supporting characters, I'm totally blanking on his name, but he's the guy who is in constant contact with Catherine and sort of heads the writer's room. I really like that character just because like Catherine's husband, but you know, in a more professional setting, keeps her honest constantly. He's someone who seems loyal to her, but also at the same time recognizes some of the flaws that Catherine often has. Um, sometimes, you know, he gives in to uh, what she wants, but at the same time, we see a journey for him as he slowly kind of realizes a lot of the sort of changes that need to come up on the show. And at the same time, he also kind of deeply cares about the show, I think, as much as Catherine does. I think you know, the the way that he handles the writer's room is very much in a sense of knowing of what Catherine has, like in terms of potential. So I think I really like that character as well. Yeah, that that character, I think his name was Brad, if I remember correctly. It may have been, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's he's great because in some ways he's, he enables her for a lot of it. But then when he gets moments to put her in check, even subtly, he, he, doesn't hesitate to do it. And I, I quite enjoyed him as well. And I didn't even mind, although she had a very small part, Amy Ryan's Carolyn, who's supposed to be, I guess, the quote-unquote evil studio head. Right. Um, who doesn't understand Catherine's brilliance. But then when you see the way that Catherine treats her, you could understand why she'd want to push her out. Characters outside of maybe Charlie, who is the, the womanizer, most of them get a chance to redeem themselves. Yeah, I agree. I think ultimately, like I said, the vision of the film is, you know, hopeful. I think it's almost is like an example of what we're trying to strive through. Like I said, the ending where, you know, they do get a very diverse workplace. That's sort of, you know, the thing that we're striving towards even now. So I think in a way, the film uh, represents, you know, in, in subtle ways, the journey that it is to get there. I don't think it obviously you know, pays tribute to the entire strife that is needed for a more diverse workplace. I think obviously a lot of things, because it is a kind of a mainstream comedy, it touches on things. It perhaps doesn't delve into them as much as we would perhaps like, but it touches on those things and then ultimately leads to a sort of, you know, here's what we would like at the end of this more diverse workplace where it's more inclusive and you don't have, you know, carbon copy people sitting around a table thinking of the same jokes over and over and over. So I think that's that's really what the film's going for there. Yeah, and keeping on that whole thread of, you know, a more hopeful, diverse future. This film came out just last year, 2019. This year, Mindy Kaling had a huge success with the Netflix series Never Have I Ever, which was mm-hmm. the number one show, I think, for like the first three weeks that it, it came out. We have shows like Patriot Act and Master of None, I guess those are all Netflix shows. But for, for other examples, like the film Blinded by the Light yesterday, where we're starting to see more South Asian representation in film and television. Do you feel like there is a change happening, even even if slowly? Or is it one of those things where it's just a small drop in a in a much larger ocean? You know, I think I'm an idealist, like Mindy Kaling's character in the film. So for me, I think, you know, there has been change. I think there's a considerable amount of change we are seeing obviously way more way way more south asian talent uh, both behind and in front of the camera obviously mindy kaling for one has been sort of the person the go-to person when talking about you know south asian 
especially South Asian American representation as well. I think the fact that she has always been sort of within the mainstream sphere too. I think there's a lot of people within the independent scene that we may not have even heard of yet. But uh, Mindy Kaling was essentially one of the first people to really break into the mainstream. She did writing for a lot of major sitcoms. And what's awesome about her in particular is that despite this huge climb of success, she continues to really put South Asian uh, voices front and center, like in her latest Netflix show, Never Have I Ever, which is frankly, I was really excited for that show just because it's it's impossible to even conceive or think of that sort of a show even being around a couple of years, even years back. So I think, like I said, I'm, I'm a big idealist. I'm an optimist in that sense. So I think that there has been a lot of real change, especially in the past few years. Obviously, there's always always more work to be done. And I think the real sort of, for me, the way I see it is that, you know, that there's real progress when there's a lot of different stories being told with South Asians or, and South Asian Americans uh, in film and media. I think that, you know, once you have it to the point where there's not just one story being told, there's several types of stories being told, we're working in different genres. That's when there's, I think that's a real benchmark of progress when there's a diversity of stories being told by South Asians and featuring South Asians. And I'm starting to see that happen. So like I said, I think, I think this is a big progress moment, I would say. I agree with you. And I think this is one of those things that, you know, we mentioned constantly on this show, and I guess we will continue to mention it. When we talk about diversity and representation, it's not just seeing the different faces in front of and behind the camera, but it's also the different stories, you know, being allowed to be portrayed as heroes, villains, scientists, comedy writers, what have you, but just done in a a very natural way. And that's one of the things I I quite enjoyed about this particular film. You know, one thing I'll mention real quick, we've been talking about, of course, South Asian voices and things like that. The director of Late Night, Nisha Ganatra, has done several films. Um, I highly suggest everybody look up her filmography and particularly check out the film. It's called Chutney Popcorn. And interestingly, there's a little Easter egg of that movie in Late Night. Um, There's a point in which we see Mindy Kaling's character's room and she has a little poster of it. So it stars uh, Nisha Ganatra in that film as well. I think a lot of people have not seen it, I want to say, in general. It's a little hard to find, but I think you can rent it. And I think you can rent it on Amazon for sure. But definitely check out that film if you're interested in seeing sort of a very personal take for, from Nisha Ganatra. Rishab, thank you for coming on the show where can listeners find you thanks for having me they can find me at my blog which is very lengthy but it's rishabashisha.wordpress.com uh, that's one place you can find me i also write regularly on medium and eskimotv.net um, all places you can find me writing listeners you can reach me on twitter at small mind or you can contact the show on twitter at changing reels ac thank you once again for listening and remember you can change the conversation on diversity and representation in cinema one reel at a time